Hi, welcome to Titanium Talk. My name's Jason Neen and I've got Brenton House with me. Hi, Brenton. Hey, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's starting to warm up here. A- yeah, it is warming up here, actually, this week. It's Easter weekend and, uh, yeah, everything's uh, it's actually turned into quite a nice weekend weather-wise. So I've got the air conditioning on in the office and uh, trying to keep cool. Enjoying summer's coming. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right, we've got a few things to talk about. Um We've got a new developer blog. We do. Devblog.axway.com. Do you want to talk about that briefly? Sure. We uh, Everything that you used to find on the Accelerator blog has been moved over here. Plus, we have some new content, um, a new look. It's spent some time making sure that it's easier to find posts that you're looking for, topics, uh, a new tag cloud, um, new categories. So yeah, definitely go out there and take a look. It's devblog.xway.com and um, let's let's know your feedback because uh, this is for you, for the developers. Yeah, there's some. Uh, I think the categorization got a lot simpler, didn't it? So that things are are much more easily categorized in terms of posts. So it is definitely easier to find content. There's a few there's a few good posts on there at the moment. Um, Zero to app with a camera by Michael Gangolf, uh, which is a cool little post. Um, taken from a little library of, of zero to app articles that he's working on. Um, there's a RC release of Titanium 7.0.11. It's a new naming convention I've not seen before, uh, which just talks about the updates there um, for the CLI. And there's a post that I did for geolocation with Titanium Part 1, which is being followed up by Part 2, which is coming soon. And I'll be talking a little bit about that later on in this episode. Uh, but yeah, it's nice, uh, nice new blog post, nice new blog. We've got updated WordPress and sort of, you know, in the background, uh, we we can actually write Markdown, which is pretty cool, which we couldn't do before, which is... Which For a developer, cool. that's exciting. <laughs> it is, it is, because, uh, you know, before I, I write articles, I usually write my posts in Bear um, on the Mac and, you know, it syncs with the iOS and everything and I'm so, you know, do everything in Markdown. And then what I'd have to do is sort of select all, copy as HTML, go to WordPress, paste it in, and there'd always be some little idiosyncrasies with just some of the line spacing and something would happen like a paragraph spacing, especially after a code block. And then I'd have to go in and sort of mess around with that and preview it and check. And so obviously the HTML now is different in terms of what I've done to the source, you know, so I can't easily go back and forth. So having it in Markdown is great because you could just, you know, make any tweaks and changes on the website and then I can copy it back to Bear if I need to. Um, So yeah, it's really, really handy. Markdown's great. I love it. Oh, I know. Oh, one of the new posts that we have on our blog is uh, the new product announcement, the crash analytics. Ah, yeah. So uh, some of you are familiar with, if you have like pro or enterprise accounts, some of the crash analytics that able to, for iOS and Android, detect if your app has a crash or you can log breadcrumbs and do other things in there and then go online and be able to see the stack traces. But was before, the stack traces were always... Uh, the native, so you'd see the Java stack um, stack trace, or you'd see iOS like Objective C. So, with the new product that we have, if um, if you're using the crash analytics, you're going to get the stack trace in JavaScript. So you're nice. actually going to see the stack trace of your code, of what what it was leading to, which really helps development a lot. I know sometimes handing over a stack trace of the Java to a developer, I'm like. Okay, I realize this is where it crashed, but where in my code did uh, I call something or do something that would have caused this Java stack trace? So mm. I think this is a huge thing. Plus, um, it's now going to be available to indie developers for like a small monthly fee. Before, it wasn't even an option if you're an indie developer to even have access to this. You had to have a pro or enterprise account. But now I think it's going to be a a small add-on fee for indie developers to make it affordable for them to be able to have this. So that's a, it's a a huge um, improvement, I think, for our products. It's our own product now. And um, I'm really excited about it. I'm I'm just started um, testing out and doing a little bit about it. And then maybe we can do a blog post or another podcast in the future of kind of, kind of what, what we found by trying it out and doing and hear more from the community. Yeah, definitely. I, I need to check that out as well. Cause that sounds very, very cool. I've, uh, previously I've had to either do local logging or, you know, capture the, the main, um, the main error handler and then, you know, write my own uh, sort of 
debug log to a remote server, which is always a pain in the backside. So uh, yeah, this sounds really, really cool. Yeah, I have tons of that. You are here, console log, you are here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The time. worst one is alert, if you've ever done the old, um, yeah, if you've ever done the console.log here or even worse, alert here like I have. And then, uh, and then you suddenly issue a version to a client and they come back and say, it's coming up with here. <laughs> there's, a, there's a dialogue popping up saying here. I don't know what that means. You're like, uh, whoops. Yep. Uh, always good to use the env dev or env test mode, uh, test checks for that uh, to stop yeah. that happening. But yeah, I've, I've done that a couple of times. Um, we talked the last time we spoke, and I can't remember when that was. I think it might have been January uh, or February. Um, we talked about 8 coming out and some of the new features. And I don't know what you've done, if you've done anything with 8 yet, but I, I did use it. So I was building an app in 7.5 at the time when 8 was being worked on. And I was on the, I do my normal thing where I sort of focus on the iOS version first and then tweak it for Android. And I was using navigation window and tabbed bar, two things that we know, you know were coming in, in 8.0, which were going to support a cross-platform tab bar and cross-platform tab group. Uh, sorry, navigation um, group, navigation window even. <laughs> it was the original name, navigation group. Um, so there was going to be a tab group update to allow tabs at the bottom. There was going to be a cross-platform navigation window and the tab bar, plus a load of other stuff that was going on. But those were the, the main things that affected me. So I was sort of purposefully working on iOS and happy to implement these features because I was planning as soon as 8 was going to be released, whether it was the beta or not, I was going to switch this project over to it and then try it when I got to Android. And the interesting thing was, it was actually really, really nice. Um, so apart from the normal annoyances of Android, which is the the main thing that hits you when you you know you do a build from your iOS version, which is things like table view heights and background colors of windows and background colors of table views and the lab default label color, and the most critical one is that horrible highlight they put in the text fields. Um, apart from that, the app started up and ran <laughs> and it was like wow you know the navigation window worked um the tabbed bar appeared like an android tabbed bar uh, but did exactly what it was supposed to do it worked exactly the same way i only had i think i only had two issues which was um obviously there's no support for top left top right navigation buttons in android it doesn't work like that with the um with the action bar at the top so i implemented my own sort of title bar that basically worked a bit like um, ios because the app design was very iOS-like and they had the sort of back buttons top left and they had another button top right. So I just implemented my own little title bar control, which worked great. And I have, you know, got the logo in the middle for the app and the back button on the left and settings button on the right or logout or whatever the screen was. Um, and apart from, so apart from that, yeah, I think I had one issue with some geolocation stuff, but that was, that was a, another issue. But the app ran, you know, the login page came up, you could log in, uh, everything worked really, really smoothly. And uh, literally after about five minutes of tweaking some theming and removing some of these highlights and changing a few things and just changing some of the defaults, I had a, an Android app running probably within an hour, uh, which is awesome having not started it in Android for the entire development of the project. Yeah, I've, I've had a relatively smooth experience as well, which is surprising given the number of um, obviously it was a major release and there were yeah. a couple breaking changes, but there were tons of new features and enhancements. So a lot of times when you add in that many new features, you're going to have to go through and change some things. But uh, a lot, a lot of times I, the only thing I had to change was going to the, the tie up XML and change the version to eight Oh. And uh, like I said, some of the future things like you may get deprecation warnings, but it, that's something that you just kind of change when you get time because it's it'll be in another release that things are actually changed so yeah it's a real a really good experience using eight for me as well yeah and i'm looking forward to i want to try out the swift module stuff there's a couple of ideas i've got around that to do with some apps that I'm working on at the moment but i really would like to sort of build my first swift swift native module because that process looks really really cool as well and i know that uh, hans has been doing some stuff on that with the new pro new company that he's working with his new startup um, and I think he released a Swift module recently, but yeah, that would be, that would be really, really nice. Yeah. A lot easier. Swift is a lot closer to JavaScript too, than some of the objective C that's nice. So the geolocation is interesting because, um, yeah, I want to hear more about that. I saw your blog post That's an awesome blog post. And there's so many questions I hear in the community about geolocation, uh, 
not just even not even in the titanium community just in in the mobile development community as a whole geolocation is a huge thing so yeah i wanted to definitely hear more about some of that geolocation yeah there's lots of basically i was working on an app that was it's one of these things when you you sort of you're working on an app that sounds like a really simple concept and the, the concept is like a find my friends type thing you're sort of trying to find nearby people um and so it sounds really easy you know it's geolocation you're going to ping someone's location to a server, uh, you know, ping the long and lad up to a server, and then you're going to pop up on someone else's screen to say you're nearby by doing a simple check to say, you know, are, are they near? Are they within a radius or whatever? The problem I so there's quite a few things going on here, but a good a good reference app is the Find Friends app on iOS because if you look at the way that app works, it's quite interesting, and I think coincidentally and unintentionally i've effectively my final solution was uh, to implement a solution that i think works pretty much how that works i think i found out that this is the way they do it because it's the most efficient way so if you notice with the find my friends app um, you know the typical functionality is you add someone in uh, they have to give permission to say whether you want to be able to they, you want the people to be able to see you and i might launch the app and say you know find uh, find my wife you know where's my wife and they'll it will fire up the app, usually will pop to that person. And you'll notice if you've done this uh, recently or anytime, that you'll see like an outdated date. It might say they were there 30 seconds ago. It might say they were there 10 hours ago or something. And then suddenly it will update. Like a couple of seconds later, it will refresh and they'll suddenly move either nearby to where the last point was or suddenly they'll disappear from there completely because they've, they've moved complete location and it's been updated. So I was trying to implement something similar that would find people... Um, not necessarily with their permission, but basically if you downloaded this app and installed this app, part of the app's feature was you find nearby people. So uh, iOS was the first thing to tackle. And the most obvious solution I, I thought of initially was to use the always on background mode. And this uh, this sort of highlighted an actual bug in, well, I didn't highlight it. Someone else had found it, but it was a bug in the last version of iOS. So the last update we had, what, a couple of weeks ago, the version before that had a bug. And I eventually found this through some convoluted route because what was basically happening was uh, my, the first sort of simple code of my app was to, to do a location update, was to ping your long and lat up to a server. That was it. It would also do a reverse lookup on the server to sort of get the address and uh, just to store it, just add a reference so that I could easily, you know, long and lats are difficult sometimes to obviously read. But if you can see that you're in this street and someone else is in the next street, you can get a sense of, of distance and of things like that. So it was a sort of internal thing, the, the geo, uh, the reverse lookup. So so that was the first version of the app. And, and the obvious approach there was to say that you need it always on because you want this thing to run in the background. So the first thing that happens when you do that is by default, you get the little blue indicator, either at the top of the screen, full width, if you're using a touch ID device, or in the top left corner if you're using a Face ID device. Um, so you'll see like the time or whatever with a little blue symbol around it. It's the same thing that pops up if you're using Maps or Google Maps or Waze or whatever to do directions in the background. But what was happening was, and this was working great, and you can turn that blue indi indicator off. There's a flag that you can turn that off so it's not going to be so uh, intrusive. And in theory, that would have been the most efficient way, not, not battery-wise, but it's going to be the, the best way to get super accurate result of where you are at any one time. Uh, but what was happening was was that I was I was noticing when I was trying to test this, and it is difficult to test because the simulator does give you different, you know, we know there are differences on the simulator with case sensitivity and things like that, but there are also some other idiosyncrasies with things that just don't work the same on device. And this highlighted a lot of those for me, which I'm going to sort of try and put together in a post. Um, so basically what was happening was I was checking my phone regularly. I could still see the blue indicator. I was going out for walks, going out for a run, going out pick the kids up or whatever I was doing and the blue indicator was still there went to bed blue indicator still there next morning I wake up blue indicator's gone I didn't understand I didn't know whether my app was crashing I didn't know whether the the upper the the OS was shutting it down which technically shouldn't happen if you read the the documentation so convoluted load of tests I had iPads running it some of them were lasting two days and then it was dying and it turns out that it was a bug in iOS where iOS would just randomly shut your app down. <laughs> um, and, th and that was it. You know, your app was dead and it wouldn't restart. So it, that whole issue forced me into looking at geolocation in a slightly different way. Because obviously now I had a bug I had to get around because people were reporting it being fixed in the beta and in the, the version that's out now. And I haven't tested it because I don't need to now because I'm not using it. Uh, but I probably will do a test before I do my next blog post. 
So I had to come up with another solution. And on iOS, there are some really cool things that you could do around geolocation uh, to keep the power low and to make sure that your app restarts and your app stays you know, open and does what it needs to do, basically. And one of those is a thing called significant location change. And what that does is basically it doesn't use the GPS initially. So what, what significant location change does is it uses the, the cell towers. So they reckon the distance is around 500 meters. And what it means is, is that if you change cell tower locations, uh, the OS will send a message to your app to say that there's been a significant location change, even if the app is shut down. Now, the only exception to this, and this is something else I discovered by going through the Apple notes and, and testing this out. The only exception to this all is if the user kills the app. So when users do that thing they're not supposed to do, which is unless they want to stop the app completely, they think they're saving memory by going to their uh, running apps and swiping up and getting rid of the app. By doing that, they're killing the app explicitly, which tells the OS, I don't want, you know, I don't want to run that app. So it won't restart the app for any of these events. If the app is, if the device is restarted, if uh, there's a location change or anything, uh, the app will not be restarted. So does it do this for, like, if you had a Wi-Fi only device? Yeah, I mean, basically, significant location change will use uh, a number of factors. So I think it uses it uses the cell tower stuff. I, I think it will use Wi-Fi changing as well. So it will it will fire when it needs to, but it's not you know it's not initially accurate. Obviously, when you when your app wakes up because it's had the, the location change, there'll be an initial location that it gets, and usually that's not going to be accurate because um, the G, you know the the app hasn't necessarily or the GPS hasn't necessarily pinpointed you. But what can sometimes happen then is you'll get a couple of quick updates afterwards. And it will then suddenly lock on and, and it's got you. And it's now it now knows your exact location. But it's like a 500 meter range. So I had this issue where I'm trying to identify whether people are within 50 meters of you. You know, that's that's the level we were going down to. It's like 50, 200, 500, uh, 300 or something like that. So 500 is terrible because that's not going to help in that situation. So then I sort of looked back at how this app needed to work. And if you think about like Find My Friends... Um, find my friends doesn't need to track my location all the time because the location my location is only relevant when someone's looking for me so having everybody just pinging if nobody ran find my friends having all these devices just pinging the server constantly just seems crazy because it's using battery power it's using network resource so given that I only need to know locations when or update locations when people are looking I had to come up with this other solution so the way I did it was the server I was using had some location code uh, capability that could look within a spherical radius. So basically what I did was say, if I go into the app, uh, first of all, the app is configured for significant location change. So everybody's app is updating, let's assume every 500 meters. Whenever they move, their long and lat is being updated to say where they are. Okay. So now person A is running the app. And their app is updating every 500 meters when they move. But person B is now 50 meters away from person A. They don't know they're nearby. And person B wants to see who's nearby. And obviously he wants, the outcome is that he wants person A to appear. But person A, their location has only been updated recently because they were, you know, they did a significant location change and it could be hundreds of meters out of range. So the way I did it was to use um, something called silent push. And silent push on iOS is a, a mechanism where you can send a push notification that doesn't have any content effectively, but it tells the app that there's content available. And that's what will let apps do background downloading and things like that of news updates or whatever. The challenge with silent push is you only get about 30 seconds. Your app is fired up. It can do something and about 30 seconds later, it's killed. So you can't have it. You can't use it as a way to restart an app permanently that's been closed down. So the, so the trick that I came up with, which works really, really well, is given the fact that everybody's device should update every 500 meters if they're doing a significant location change, and given the fact the only the only time I need to get a more accurate location from those people is if someone is actively looking for them, the way I did it was if I'm nearby someone else and their device hasn't updated because the last time it updated, they were 200 meters away and now they've moved a bit, but they haven't moved the 500 meters it needs for a significant location change update, this is getting complicated. Um, when I look for them, I send a silent push to everybody within a mile or within a kilometer. So everybody within a kilometer of my location 
gets a silent push notification. And that silent push initiates a lo an accurate location update immediately. So the end result is, if I'm 50 meters away from somebody or um, 35 meters away from somebody, and their location hasn't been updated for half an hour because they haven't moved into a new location yet that it's going to update. When I hit that button to say who's next to me, you know, who's nearby, it's going to send that silent push out. Their device is going to receive it. They're going to update their location. And now I'm picking them up 30 meters away. And that's the trick I ended up using. And if there's a slight delay, and that delay is actually very, very similar to the delay you see in Find Friends. So I think it's pretty much the same concept. I think what happens with Find Friends is your location is not updated constantly. I think there's a significant location update that occurs. And then when somebody goes, right, I need to look for that, I need to look for my friends, it's going to send a silent push to all those devices or to that particular device that they're after, to that particular person. And then that's going to update their location accurately, which is why you see that delay when they update. Um, the end result, of course, was I had an iOS app that was really low power. Um, it was able to find people. Um, the other, there's a couple of other things I did, a couple of other tricks I did in there. One was if we hadn't heard, if we hadn't had a location update from a person within a period of time, and that person is within that that radius um, for being searched, then we actually send a physical push to them as well. And that physical push is saying, you know, we haven't heard from you from a while, you know, and people are looking for you, so update your app. So that's that's the other trick I did because then that would that that would happen, um, that would happen in the situation where they let's say they force quit the app. So they force quit the app. And now significant location change isn't going to work. Um, silent push won't work in that case as well because you've force killed the app. And so there's no way to find out where that person is. So we have to send them a physical push to say, you know, please restart the app so we know where you are. And if, if anyone ever uses an app like Tile, Tile's similar to that. If you quit Tile, within about five seconds of quitting it, it will say, please restart trial, uh, Tile if you want to track your items because it can't restart automatically because you force quit it. So that's that's a bit of a challenge. And and one of the ways around that specific issue was there's a close event that you can get against the app. And the close event is like, you've got very limited time to do anything. Um, you are basically being told the app is dying like within the next couple of seconds because the user has for, force quit it. Or you send out a message to the server then. <clears throat> exactly. So there's there's a there's there, I found that there was enough time with a close event and the close event will fire if it's force quit or if the operating system shut, shuts it down. There's enough time for me to do well. There was definitely enough time for me to do at least one network request and a console log. So I was able to do a console log to say the app is closing, and I was able to do a network network request to send out the push notification, and then that would send an instant push back to the person within about a second. Um, well, actually, yeah, because it has to be a push. Because this is the other thing, it can't you can't send a local notification because that was the other thing I tried. So on the close event, I tried to send a local notification scheduled for like one one second, and it won't let you. It's, it's iOS prevents you from doing that completely. It's it's just by design. So the only way to do it was a network request out to the server to say send a push out to the same user, and it works. <laughs> you know, if you force quit the app, you get a pushback saying please reopen the app, and I'm I'm guessing that's how Tile does it. Um, but what's interesting about Aside from the force quit, so force quit overrides everything. You know, you do force quit, you're done. But if you don't do that, significant location change and silent push will do a couple of things for you. One is that your app will get restarted if the app if the device reboots. So you know, you can shut down the device, you can restart the device, and you'll notice your location ping will will come in straight away afterwards, within a few seconds of the app of the device starting up. And it will also happen if the app crashes. So if your app accidentally crashes in the background, you don't know why. And you think, you know, it's not going to get any location updates. The app will get restarted in that case. And, and also if the OS shuts it down for memory reasons, it will still up. It, but, but, if, but if the user has forced quit it, that's a real killer. And that, that's, that's why you have to sort of come up with that solution like I did, which is, you know, if we haven't heard from you from, for so long, we're going to actually send out a physical push to let you know because you're obviously, you know, you're nearby or, or you were nearby um, and we haven't heard from you for like an hour and... You know, we need you to reopen the app so we can get an updated location. So it, so it was what started off was, you know, this is going to be a really easy app. Turned out to be incredibly complicated to try and get all the different scenarios working. Um, and also what was difficult was there was a couple of tricks I did around this as well, was simulating locations. You know, like in the simulator, you can t you can have there's the Apple 
a campus, there's a bike ride, there's a car ride, and you can type in along and let yourself. You could do that, but it's not super reliable. It doesn't always update immediately. Sometimes it takes a couple of clicks to get it to refresh and things like that. What you can do, though, is you can actually do simulated locations on device. Uh, the trick you have to do with that is you just have to build a wrapper app. Well, not a wrapper app, but just a dummy app. So you just create a normal Xcode project of a dummy app. And once you've created that app, and that app, it doesn't have to do anything. It literally can launch with a white screen. But as, as soon as you run that app from Xcode on the device in sort of debug mode, you get these extra options in Xcode where you can change the location. So you can now click the location and click anywhere, you know, put it to anywhere on a map or any location you want. And your device will actually change location. It will appear that it's in London or it's in America or wherever. Um, and so now you can sort of simulate on device location updates a bit more easily. The downside of that, of course, is it can affect you, the time of your, your device. So <laughs> I'll suddenly change my location and all of a sudden my time will change. And then, of course, all your appointments change and your watch starts acting strange because it's picking up different time zones and it gets a bit complicated, which I guess is why most people use development devices for that instead of their production devices. Um, but yeah, it's possible to actually do it on device. It just takes a little bit of a hack and a workaround. Um, but that was iOS and I, that wasn't, it was painful. I mean, it was painful because it appeared like location stuff just wasn't working. And there are lots of parameters when you do location services. And this is what I'll be covering in, in the second part of the blog post, because there's all kinds of things about, you know, auto enabling, um, stopping of location updates so that the OS can decide there's options where basically if this is really a significant location change, once you do that, this doesn't matter. But if you're doing like always on background location, like for car navigation and things like that, or walking and stuff, if you say allow pour, allow it to pause location updates, the OS will do that if it's determined that it doesn't believe you've moved that much. So, you know, you've, you've pulled your car up or you've stopped walking. It's not going to keep firing location updates because you've stopped walking. The, the, the problem there is that I was reading some people saying that sometimes it can not start up again. It's possible that it won't actually resume. So it's not totally reliable to do that. And that's, that's an, an iOS thing, not a titanium thing. Uh, but it is... Yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a what sounds like a really easy thing with geolocation on iOS can end up being very painful. So how much logic I'm I mean obviously there's a lot of logic in the app. How much logic is in the server side for all this? No, not much to be honest. It was just sending the push stuff out. I mean, the 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 actual push location sending, I'm just using a a rest call from the app itself. So okay. it can yeah, with the back-end service that's being used, it can send out a push notification and within a, a geolocation, which is quite cool. So you can actually say, send this push out to people within a mile or within a kilometer or whatever. So yeah, it was, it was in the end, we got it working. It was all good, but it taught me quite a lot about geolocation that I wasn't really aware of before in terms of the way things work. Um, Android was not as complicated because with Android, you can create a service. So the way Android works is... Uh, I basically create, uh, as long as you create a foreground service, then that will run in the background. So you create a service when the app is running, you register that service, and basically um, when the app is backgrounded, the service will continue running and it will get restarted and it's just doing a location change based on a distance. So if you've moved like 50 meters or whatever, it will update your location. So it was a lot simpler on Android and there's uh, there's been no feedback to sort of say that there's, there's been any kind of problem on Android. So that was that was a lot easier. So if you were doing it again on the iOS, would you, now that that bug has been fixed, would you use a always on or would you use a combination of that? Yeah, it depends what the accuracy is like. I mean, if you wanted to, if you wanted to see stuff on a map in real time and see people moving and things, then I guess you, you'd probably want to do always on. Uh, but if you want to do something like, you know, is my friend's, is my friend nearby or, you know, is my device nearby or anything like that, then I th I think the sort of, the push style approach works quite well, especially when a lot of these services now give you loads of push notifications. It's not a big deal. Um, and the fact that you can sort of send one query out to say, just send just send a push out to anyone within a mile or within a kilometer of me or whatever. Um, I think, yeah, that's, that's probably the solution I'd go with. I think the one thing I want to do now is I want to take, I want to try and take the module that I was writing and try and make it, because obviously there's two parts to this now. There's the sort of GPS module that I had, which worked great on iOS, but I had to create this service for Android. And I want to see if I can come up with a way of making a single JS file work as both. So it would work as a module to be required 
that would handle all the iOS side of things. But if you then used it as the JS file for a service for Android, it would operate as a service as well. So it could it could just kill both, with, but with one single JS file, and and keep it really simple. So I I tried to make it so that you know you literally just set a couple of flags and then say start, and it will start tracking. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it was it was there was some hair pulling out moments I can tell you because it's very difficult with location stuff. When I've done it before, it's also it's just tricky. It's tricky trying to test it because you know I ended up in this situation where I had like the simulator running, uh, I was putting in the long and lat of where I was, and then I had like three other devices all logged in with different accounts, all trying to simulate where they are and and testing out different scenarios. So you know what happens if I hit log out? What happens if I kill the app? Do I have time if you kill the app or log out to clear the person's location? Um, and then I was doing some sort of client side filtering of the query to say, don't show me people if they're if their location's stale, you know, don't show me someone if it's not been updated in the last, you know, 10 minutes or something, because otherwise you're getting people who may have gone to a location, logged out, and it hasn't, you know, cleared their location. And so they're still showing up. So there's quite a lot of scenarios that it sounds like a really simple thing, uh, but it, it it's a it's a big deal to test. Yeah, but it's fun I, though. <laughs> a lot of the stuff, even on Find My Friends, just leaving it open, things can get stale. I mean, yeah. originally when I opened it, it like you said, it narrowed it down to where like my family members were, but then then it started getting okay that that was 16 minutes ago now. Yeah, um, exactly. That so it doesn't constant. It's not even with the app open. It's not constantly checking to see where no. they are. There's some interesting stuff though that you can do, uh, which I noticed when I was testing, which is really quite cool. So. If you're if you're tracking someone's location, so let's say you've got the location services set to significant location change, which means it's going to go into this low power mode. It's only going to change when the cell tower uh, changes. What you can do is if if someone is now looking for that person, so if I'm looking for someone on Find Friends and I wanted to find out where my wife is and I've got the screen open where my wife is and she's in the car, she's driving, and let's assume that this process works by sending a silent push to her device to say, give me an updated location. The cool thing you can do is you can change the flag like instantly. And I don't, I need to retest this, but I don't think I needed to restart the service. I don't think I needed to stop and restart location checking. If you turn that significant location change off, you can have it go straight to always mode. So you can actually have a situation. And I, I did this a couple of times when I was testing. So I had a device sitting there. Uh, I had the blue banner for always mode enabled. So I would always know when the always mode kicked in. The app was sitting in significant location change mode, which meant it was on this low power mode. I sent the silent push and suddenly I saw the blue thing appear in the corner because I'd got code in there that says, as soon as you get a silent push, turn off significant location change mode. And that immediately puts you in always background mode. The only problem with that is you're only going to get that location update, that real time location update accurately for about 30 seconds or so because the app will get shut down because that's the way iOS works. So it's like this sort of compromise of how you do it. You know, do you end up sending silent pushes every 30 seconds, which seems crazy? Um, or do you come up with some other way of doing it? And the way that I, I came up with was that, was that way, which was just a very passive way. So it doesn't use always at all. And I'm guessing that's why uh, Find Friends works in a similar way. Because if you, if you sit there in Find Friends and look at somebody's uh, record that you're tracking, that you don't see them driving along on the road. You know, you don't see it like uh, Google Maps where they're sort of moving at high speed you'll sort of see them where they are and then it will start aging and it will say 30 seconds ago, 40 seconds ago, whatever. And then suddenly it'll ping and change again because I'm, I'm pretty sure that what's happening is it's doing a significant location update. Yeah, it's interesting too. Like Apple has two different apps. They have the Find My Friends and then they have Find Your iPhone. So yeah. I have the same devices I have on Find My Friends like for the devices for in my family. I have on Find the iPhone. And I'll notice, I think they're using slightly different methods like Find My iPhone will update more often, maybe because they realize that if you're doing Find My iPhone, you really want to find your iPhone right then. And yeah, you want to know where it is. Whereas with Find My Friends, they're like, I think they're using more of the significant change thing that you're talking about with Find My Friends versus uh, Find My iPhone. So, I mean, I'm guessing that Find My iPhone probably uses more power. Um, I don't have a really a way of measuring that, but... Yeah, it's possible. I mean, there's rumors they're going to be merging those two in the next iOS, so... Which would make sense. I mean, it just seems very strange that they still call it Find My iPhone when you can find your AirPods and your iPad and things. 
uh, yeah. even <laughs> compute, you know, computers, I think, can appear in there as well. So it's just, yeah, it's very, yeah. it's a very strange setup. Um, I wish it, I wish it was so much better. I mean, I yeah. get loads. I mean, obviously, it can't work when devices are off. But I, I, what would be cool in that in that app is that you know I'm obviously part of a family and I've got the kids' devices that they use are all is all in there. And you can go in to find my iPhone and you can see devices and see the battery level. What would be really neat is if it would tell you when things were running low. So, you know, if I would get a ping to say that my daughter's iPad that she's using is on 5% or something, so that I would get a push notification to tell me that because obviously if that's been put away somewhere or it's somewhere in the house, it's been, you know, lost temporarily, then as soon as that dies, I'm not going to know where it is. I can't send it a ping. I can't send it a, you know, a message to start beeping because all it's going to have is it's last long and lap. But if I would, if I was to know that it's on 5%, I could do something about it. I could make sure I know where it is before it runs out. Well, if you took code, the uh, geolocation code, like what you're talking about now and just do on close or d- yeah. Uh, also check the battery level and yeah. not just a significant change. And then you could say if battery's levels below the certain amount, uh, kind of send out <laughs> SOS where where here's where I am kind of thing, but it's complicated. It is complicated and it's not, and it's really hard to, I know uh, people are like, well, Titanium is a cross platform. Everything should work the same. And to a lot of degree it does, but there are certain things that even in other um, cross platform uh, solutions, geolocation is something that it's really tough um, because yeah. the devices and the OSs behave differently. They have different, policies and they have yeah they just work differently and you're gonna have to do things a little bit differently but it sounds like you've kind of come up with a nice way of of understanding that and even if the code has to be slightly different of getting the same behavior out of it even if the platforms behave differently so that's really cool yeah and and also trying to approach it i mean because it's very easy to say okay we'll just have you know we'll just have this file for ios and we'll have this file for android and, and these extra files and it's that's okay i mean that works you know people are happy doing that but i always like I like trying to keep, not try and keep things simple because it's actually quite complicated to do what I'm trying to do, but it's just nice. I, I like the idea of having like a GPS or geolocation.js file that you drop into the lib folder and you just initiate it. You require it and you start a command and, it, and you put your ha- callback handler and you're done. You know, you're getting location updates and you're getting them in the most efficient way that you want based on some settings you've set. And it works on Android as of service you know, and everything that, that would be really, really cool. If I can crack that. Um, it's a bit like slightly off topic, but related to this, trying to do both. Uh, I was implementing, uh, Firebase push notifications. So, uh, at the back end I was using supports push, but you can configure it obviously for Firebase now that they're, I think they're dumping GCM, aren't they? So it's all moving to Firebase. So I configured the Firebase for Android. It wasn't for iOS, obviously iOS was just using the normal push process. Uh, but obviously when I'm sending the push notification code, and specifically the one that says, you know, you haven't launched the app in a while, so please click click here to launch it again. I was trying to get the mess, trying to get the content right to to appear on both because the first attempt I did for, because I I didn't implement, I haven't done Firebase push before, so I was getting it all set up, and tried to send a push notification and nothing happens. You know, nothing pops up on the phone, and it turns out the properties are different. You know, Android expects like title and I think it's title and, title and message or something like that. There's a, there's a difference between the names. So yeah. with that with I, with iOS you do alert and then you give it the text, and with Android it expects title and body or title and message something like that. So it was trying to trying to sort of mangle the. What I didn't want to do was say you know if iOS send the push like this, if Android send the push like this, I wanted to be able to send one JSON package which does both. And so I managed to work out where things had to go after a couple of tests. Uh, which I'll probably do a post on this because there's a, I know Michael's got a, a blog post that could go up about push and this might be a good one to add on to that. Um, so basically, yeah, I have one JSON object that I send, which does effectively sort of duplicate the text in different properties. And I could probably refactor that a little bit, but it means that that one JSON package will go to iOS and Android and appear correctly for both, which is quite nice. And so that's the sort of approach I want to try and do with this module to try and make it so that it's one file, drop it in, require it link it as a service you know hit the hit the button and go uh, and i'll probably need to do a little wrapper up you know demo app around it but yeah that's that's what i'm working on which would be quite cool so hopefully 
when I work on the, the second part of the post, I'll be able to publish that as a bit of open source. That's cool. Yeah, speaking of like the Find My iPhone stuff, have you ever, like, you open it up and you start seeing all your devices and you realize, like, a whole cluster around where I am? Yeah, I know, but also, like, how everything links together. So, uh, yeah, that, well, there's the delay thing as well, which is annoying. So, one of the kids had misplaced an iPad and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll look for it. So, I go in and it, it pops up immediately in green. You know, it's online. You're like, yes, okay, let's ping it. And then just as I'm about to hit the button to ping it, it goes gray. Because <laughs> yeah. it's obviously, it's obviously refreshed the record to say, yeah, no, we haven't heard yeah. from it. It's dead. Because um, I, I think they do send out, um, they can send a message out internally within Apple to like find my iPhone to say I'm I'm dying now, you know, <laughs> yep. I, I, I'm shutting down, I'm going to be offline, so that they will know that it's offline. Uh, but it is, uh, yeah, that was frustrating. I really like the the play of sound because yeah, yes. misplacing devices that even if it's on vibrate, but I have noticed, and I don't know if it's a this version of iOS or if it's this particular device. So it's an old phone, so it doesn't have a a phone plan on it. So we're using it as Wi-Fi only, but I noticed right. lately if I do play a sound and if, if it's in silent mode, it's just vibrating. It's not actually playing a sound. So I'm like, that's unusual. Oh, that's weird. Always before I've always, it was nice. I could always send it and play a sound and, and I'll embarrass my teenage daughters. Like, like I was like, Hey, if you guys are out and I text you, I need you to text me back. My, just making sure everything's okay. And if they don't respond, then I do like, Oh, you can send them. Oh, brilliant. Dad. <laughs> but <laughs> I like oh, that, that feature cool. there though. So have you ever, uh, I don't know if this still works. It worked before. I haven't done it recently, but if you do find my, have you done, have you got AirPods? I don't have any AirPods. So, okay. So AirPods, um, when I, I had, when I first bought AirPods, I actually lost them and I thought I'd lost them. I thought I'd lost them at like a leisure center or when we were out with the kids or something. And at the time, there was a beta of iOS that had just come out, which had the Find AirPods feature. So you had an AirPods op- option that would appear in Find iPhone, but it was too late because I'd lost them. <laughs> um, so so I'd end up replacing them. And it was something like six months later, I came in from being out somewhere and my son said, uh, guess what I've got? And it was my AirPods, my other AirPods. And he'd found them like down the back of the chair <laughs> that I, oh, wow. I usually sit in at night because it had like a tear in it and it, they got lost or whatever. They still had charge. They still worked or whatever. Uh, but anyway, by that time, I obviously had the new software and I tested it. And what was cool, uh, I, I don't know if it still does it, but it did it then, is that obviously if your AirPods are if your AirPods are out, so if you've taken an AirPod out and you've dropped it in the snow or something, I think one of the people were talking about the fact that they'd done this. So they've dropped their AirPod in the snow and obviously these things are white and it goes disappears straight away into the snow. If you do find AirPods, it will send a sound to that AirPod. You know, it will sound send 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 a sound to the available AirPod. The one that's in the case won't do anything because it's it's inactive. But if it's loose, like on a desk or, you know, under a chair or whatever, it will send a sound as loud as possible. So you can hopefully hear, you know, where the AirPod is. But if your AirPods are in the case and the case is closed, they're not going to work. What happened for me when I tested it was that it pings a nearby device, which is really cool. So if your AirPod is upstairs under your bed or something, if your case is under your bed, it's fallen out of your pocket, slipped under your bed, and your wife or kids or whatever, you've got an iPad or a phone charging or something, and you say, where's my AirPods? the phone upstairs will actually make a noise because it's trying to tell you that the AirPods are near the phone. So you don't get an exact location. Yeah, you don't get an exact location. It's not going to say, you know, it's two meters away, which is a shame. It's obviously doing some Bluetooth thing. It must be doing some BLE thing. So it should know that it's, you know, pretty close. But it's basically trying to get you in the vicinity of where they possibly are, which is quite cool because it reminds me of the tile thing. And this links to... Um, another rumor that I heard for iOS 13, which is that Apple was supposedly going to be working on some sort of inbuilt tile style find things location um, service so that you could potentially, um, I'm not saying this is what it's going to be, this would be my wish list, but you could potentially say, where's my iPad? And it would say, your iPad's here and it's about five meters from you and we're going to play a noise on it so you can find it type thing. So as you know, because I don't know if you've used Tile, but when you fire the Tile app up and you say, I need to look for my keys, it will it will say your keys are nearby. You know, it, we know he, they were here. We know they're here based on the last geolocation that we got, but it, they are actually nearby, which means they're probably within a few feet of you. And then you can press the find button and it plays the sound through the Tile and you can locate it. So it'll be interesting if they have that sort of technology, whether it's 
you know, built into the devices that they can make, you know, these loud sounds and tell you how near they are or whether the i you know the airpod case suddenly has an external speaker so it can suddenly ping where it is you know it's it'll be interesting to see or whether there's going to be some you know add-on devices like tiles that you can buy that are apple branded that do this i don't know it's it, it's a it sounds cool though yeah it sounds like you could do like a, the kids game where like they're trying to find something is it hot you're getting hot it's beep oh, it's over here oh, no no it's not yeah i haven't had a tile before but um have you had I'm interested in maybe getting some now. Well, of course, as soon as I do, then Apple will come out with something that's really similar. But yeah, yeah, good results with that. With um, as far as location. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's been a couple of there's been a couple of issues where um, so the, the so the biggest problem I have at the moment is Siri remote control that's in the um, the Siri Apple TV remote control that we use in the sitting room will always go down the side of sofas and get go missing. So I bought this like little rubber case that goes around it, and then it has like a little lanyard type hookup thing. And then I put the lanyard in lanyard on, and I tie onto the lanyard a tile. Uh, so it's a bit you know annoying because you've got this tile swinging off the bottom of this remote. But I can literally say to my device, you know, my iOS device, I can say to my phone, um, "Hey Dingus, where's the sitting room Apple TV remote?" And it will start pinging a noise to it, which is quite cool. But I did have a failure of one recently where the sound wasn't quite coming out. It was. There was obviously a problem with the tile, so I need to replace it. Um, but one of the weird things they did recently, which I don't really understand why they did. So the, the original tiles were you know, very small squares, very thin. Um, there are very, very thin ones that you can like put in a wallet or slip down in a bag somewhere. And there are ones with holes in them that you can hook onto key rings. And there are sporty ones that are waterproof and things and a bit more rugged. Um, but one of the big things about tile was that they were never replaceable batteries. You know, They were all one unit. And they'd last supposedly about a year and you'd get a notification when they're running low and you could order replacements and get and recycle the others and whatever. And they recently reintroduced a new version that has a, a little, you know, a little catch that you could just open and replace the battery. And I never, I think I tweeted about it because I didn't really understand what they were trying to do because if you've lost something, I suppose, if, if the use case is that you've, you've been walking in a field and you've dropped your keys and you didn't know, your keys have been dropped, um, and you've gone off and there's been nothing nefarious going on, no one's stolen your keys, then hopefully later you can do a check and it's going to be fine because the network will pick up. Hopefully nearby people will be picked up and the Bluetooth will pick up by them and it will relay back to you that your keys have been found or where your keys are even. <clears throat> but if someone's stolen your keys or stolen your bag or stolen whatever thing you've got this thing on, then the first thing they can simply do is just pull the cover off and take the battery out. And you're done. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's it. You know, there's, it's not going to have time, even if someone was walking by or nearby that ran the tile app that's part of the tile mesh network, it's probably not going to have time to relay the last location. And if they, if it did, that person could just walk off with it anyway. Um, or they could, you know, obviously, I guess the argument is, well, you could just take the tile, even if it's got a battery and throw it away, you could cut the tile off and throw it away. So maybe that's why, maybe they, maybe the argument is, well, even if it had a fixed battery, you know, it's people can still cut it off and throw it away. So it's it's still going to fail if, if someone's determined to steal your devices. But I just thought it was a bit of an odd, an odd move because it makes it just so easy for it to happen. But also it could happen accidentally. You know, it could maybe something catches or something and suddenly the batteries pops out. Um, but otherwise, they're brilliant. I mean, I love them. They've got I got one in my wallet. I've got one in my various backpacks that I use, depending on what I'm, you know, taking and doing i'll i'll have different bags like camera bags or or a charger bag or, or a little um uh, my laptop bag you know ipad bag whatever um i usually have one that i slip into each of them so they're, they're all tiled up and so whichever bag i grab you know i'm gonna have it and it's i guess it's it's a placebo thing in in, in some senses because it's not properly gps it relies on the on the network of people but you'd be surprised you know there are a lot of people using it and and the app will tell you that there's like 300 people nearby and stuff so there is a good network and there's good story. There's, you know, the stories out there of people finding them. I have tried to use the GPS trackers, <coughs> but they, um, they're usually a lot bigger and battery wise, obviously they don't last as long by any means. And they also work in a similar way to my, my geolocation challenge. You know, they're usually GPRS based. So they've got a SIM card built into them or a SIM card you plug into them. And the way they'll work is that when you're looking for them, it will send a, effectively a sms out 
from the network to the device and the device will then ping back its location. So they can run in this sort of low power mode, but you'll, you'll be lucky to get like a week. So it's the sort of thing that you might want to take if you went out to for a day trip or you went out uh, to a meetup or to a conference or something, it could be something you could slip in your bag and, and hopefully would give you some, you know, reliability that it's, you're going to be able to find your bag if it goes missing. But yeah, it's, I think I got one for the dog, you know, you can put it around the dog's collar and, if your dog goes running off, you can find out where they are, but you've got to constantly take this thing out and charge it pretty much. So it didn't really work as, as well as it could do. Cool. Now are all the new tiles have replaceable batteries or is that just a certain model of them? I think it's the pros. I think the pros have got replaceable batteries and then the thinner ones, they have one called the Tile Mate, I think it is, and the Tile Slim. They don't because they're just too small to be able to have all the mechanism to be able to replace it. They're very cool though. There's lots of different alternatives as well. I mean, there are other products out there that do a similar thing. It's the, they're basically Bluetooth trackers and they rely on the mesh network of devices that are running the app to pick up the signal and then relay that back to the server to say where it's been found. So I've never, I've never had a situation where I've lost something publicly and, and regained it through the tile or had the opportunity to use, to use the tile. Typically, it's the normal thing of, oh my God, where are my keys? And actually, yeah, they're in the cupboard where they always are. <laughs> or... Um, or, or where's the remote control? But that, but the the one thing I would love is if, is if Tile could license the technology, for to be built into devices, so that you don't, you know, when you've got your new remote control for your TiVo or whatever, it's already got the Tile technology in there. You know, you can pair it, just like obviously it would need charging or it would be it would be charged by the batteries it's got in it anyway, but it, it, you could immediately pair it with the Tile app, and now your remote control can be found because that is. You know, anyone with kids will know that is the sort of bane of your life in terms of where, how you spend your evenings. You know, you've got the kids yeah. to bed and you sit down and the next thing you do is spend the next half an hour trying to work out where the damn remote control is. Like who uh, saw it last? Where was it? I know, I know. It's just incredible. I mean, the other day, yeah, the other day I was going crazy looking for it. Then I realized I'd put it away somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, just so I try and slap these things on as much as possible um, just to try and find this stuff because, yeah, it's. I, I mean, the TiVo that I've got, the Virgin box, and it's like a TiVo, and it's got a button on the front that you can press and hold down, and it will actually start beeping the remote, which is quite useful. It's very loud, and it will that that will help. Um, but if I lose the Siri one, yeah, I need to I need to get the tile updated on that today because I it's so slim, so thin, it just gets lost, you know, everywhere. It's very very frustrating. And the annoyance is is that we've got we've got the capability on our iPhones to just run the TV, you know, to run remote controls and to control these devices. And really, that should be fine. But it's just sometimes you just want that physical device. Yep. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, well, I'm rambling now, so it's probably a good time to finish. <laughs> well, I think we've had a good discussion on geolocation. I mean, there's probably more we could still talk about it, but this is yep. a, a hot topic. And I'm glad that I appreciate you going into depth of <laughs> all the, the pains that you went through because everybody yeah. can learn from that. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'll hopefully get some of that in that next blog post and get some sort of module written that will help people out as well, which would be quite cool. Cool. Looking forward to it. Cool. Thanks for the chat, Brenton. Speak to you soon. All right. Thanks, Jason.